Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Today's scripture is uh, Acts 11, verses 25 and 26. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. God is good. And all the time. This elderly widow lady had children, but they lived in other states. But she had a very nice neighbor. He was a younger guy, but every time that uh, he saw her maybe unloading groceries or pulling weeds out of the garden, he'd always come over and he'd help her. And one day, she, when he came over, she commented, she said, you know, you're just the nicest young man. I, I can't thank you enough for all that you do. Anytime you see me out, you come over and ask if you can help, and, and I really appreciate it. And he said, well, ma'am, when I was a boy, I had a drug problem. She said, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I never would have guessed that. He said, yeah, I was drugged to church every week. And that was part of what made me a nice young man. Uh, I think a lot of us have had that same drug problem, haven't we? Been drugged to church. Now, I know some people see this one way or the other. I've, I've heard a lot of parents say, you know, I want them to want to go. I don't want to force them to go. Well, you force them to go to school. You force them to go to the doctors when it's their time. You force them to go get their teeth cleaned at the dentist. Think of all the things that we as parents do that we force our kids to do. You force them to have good manners. To say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, please, and thank you. Don't you want them to choose on their own? Well, the reality is we often have to force our children, at least, to do things so that they learn what kind of people they ought to be when they grow up. Oh, but I want them to choose the Lord. Well, if you and I live a life worthy of it, they'll see it and they will choose. But until they are of that age and of that mind, it's our job to drag them to church. And then we can talk about it if need be. We've had this discussion with our children. Uh, Why we got to go on Sunday night? We went Sunday morning. We don't got to go. We don't have to go. We get to go. That's like some of you are going to say tomorrow morning, I got to get up, I got to go to work. No, you really, you get to get up and you get to go to work. It's all in how you look at it. If we look at it all the time negatively, then that's the impression we're going to have. Come on, we got to go to church. No, we don't, we don't got to go to church. We get to go to church. We get to worship the Lord. We get to join in the assembly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In a book that I read uh, recently, the the author Oz Guinness says this, Jesus called and still calls his followers to himself as individuals, 
But followers of Jesus are never to remain simply individuals. For the Christian faith is not simply a personal faith, a worldview, a way of life, a creed, but a community and a society. Any neglect of the church that a person would make, you have to justify it, and scripturally, you simply can't. Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 16 to build his church. When Simon Peter made the confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In all of the Gospels, church is only mentioned here in Matthew, that should say, <clears throat> that should say Matthew 16, uh, 8, uh, excuse me, Matthew 16, 16 to 18. I put up there Matthew 18, 16 to 18. Just testing you, see if anybody find that. But anyway, uh, it's mentioned here and in Matthew 18, 17. So again, let me point out, I put the wrong scripture. The scripture's right, but the citation is wrong. That should say Matthew 16, verses 16 to 18. Y'all have no clue how much that's going to worry me. One time I said in a sermon years ago, I said, y'all remember when Moses built the ark, right? And, and I can't tell you how many people were ready to correct that. I'm so thankful for the brethren. Y'all look out for me, I know. Uh, the church has a place in society because the church preaches the gospel not only throughout our community, but throughout the world. And I really have a hard time believing people when they say, I love the Lord. I'd fight for the Lord. I'd die for the Lord. But they won't go to church for the Lord. How does that make sense? If Jesus had planned to build a church, why wouldn't a Christian want to participate in the life of that church? Let me make some observations for you. Now, I'm about to go down a nerdy path, and I love it. I'll geek out about it, and some of you will go, I don't know what the point of this is, and that, that's okay. Just hang with me if you can. I love studying words, and how did we get this word? Where did it come from? What did it mean, right? Language didn't begin with us. And so I've always wanted to understand terms, especially in the Bible. Ecclesia is the term that's translated church. If you ever read in your Bible the word church, this Greek word ecclesia is the one that appears there. And preachers like to really make things into more than what they actually are. So they take the compounds of this one word, ek, means out of. And kaleo, the latter part, means called. And preachers will go, ecclesia means the called out. We as Christians are called out of the world and into the kingdom of God. And in a manner of speaking, that's true, but if I lived in the first century, that's not how they would have used that word. In Athens, the ecclesia was the assembly of the Athenian men when they came together in the democratic process to make decisions for the city-state. And so more often, uh, more likely, the word would have been understood simply as the assembly. So this is the, you know, we, we put a nice little uh, uh, Christian word on it. We, we speak a little Christianese and we say church and, you know, 
Only we know what that means. But really, it's the assembly. It's the assembly of God's people, the congregation of God's people. Uh, it referred more to what was done and not so much where it was done. Paul often used this word in the context of referring to the meetings of Christians or of the church. So, okay, I think church is a horrible translation, but it's what the King James folks gave us in 1611, and it has stayed that way ever since. But if you were to ask several different people, what is church? Define church. You'd probably have a, a few different answers. Uh, some would say, <clears throat> well, the church is the people. It's not the building. That's a very popular thing that people say today. Uh, it's not entirely correct, actually. Uh, the word church, I'm like, so, okay, if this word should be translated as assembly, where did we get this word church, right? Where did that come from? And I'm glad you asked, I'll tell you. It came from the Greek term kyriakos, which, was, which translate means the Lord's. Kyriakos, the Lord's, and in German, Kirk, uh, Scot Scotland, Kirk, K-I-R-K, uh, all the way to church. So that's how the word came to be church. And it was one of the terms that was used by the Goths, uh, not the people that wear all black, okay? We're talking about the Goths in history, a uh, di different thing. It was used by them to refer to the actual building where Christians met. So that's how we, so we're going to church. Well, now the church is the people, it ain't the building. Well, technically speaking, the church is the building. But we are the ecclesia. We are the assembly of God. We are God's people. And so if you ever see the term church and you want to make better sense of it, just think assembly. That's what we are today. We are God's assembly. Okay, I'll get off of that. I can see a couple of you nodding off. Either that or I'm choosing to believe that you are meditating in prayer. So here's something to note. If you're Bible is open to the passage that Keith read in Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 25 and 26. The name Christian arose not because of a single person, but because of the local church, the assembly of God's people, and they were noticed as different. Now Luke, it's suggested he wrote the book of Acts some three decades after the events actually occurred. So these events in Acts 11, somewhere in the 40s, if you like keeping up time. And so he's explaining how that name came to be, how the followers of Jesus came to be called Christians. Now here's something I want you to notice. The way it reads, it, it, it's not that they started calling themselves Christians, but that others were calling them Christians. Most of the sectarian names that exist, did you know exist because somebody else named them? We've all heard of the Puritans, right? Well, the people that opposed them called them that. Why? Because they've got a puritanical reading of Scripture. The Baptists, you know how they came to be named? They came to be named because they fully immersed in the 17th century. So it's not the people who name themselves so much as it is the folks who oppose them that name them. Some folks, when some of you were younger, they probably referred to you as a Campbellite. Anybody heard that? Sound familiar? All the young folks are going, I, I don't know. That's something that's not as prevalent today. 
The Lutherans were called Lutheran because they followed the doctrine and the theology of Martin Luther. So sometimes a name can be flattering, sometimes not. In this case, it was. It was something that the believers, the disciples of Jesus, were actually willing to be called. They didn't mind it once, one, one little bit because, after all, their Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. Why not be called Christian? But I want you to notice, I've, I was doing a little bit of historical digging and I found some quotations where the term Christian appears. And if you understand it from an outsider's perspective, it's a little bit different than how we would understand it. Tacitus, who was a historian, he wrote in his annals, he, uh, he referred to them, to us, as a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. So it wasn't that, that the church referred to themselves as Christians, it's that everybody else referred to them as Christians, and so they just adopted the name. Now, what were their abominations? We think abominations. We think the Old Testament and all those bad things, right? What really were the abominations? Well, probably in the eyes of the Romans, it was the fact that they refused to worship any of the gods. You've got the gods over the empire, and when you worship the gods, you're inviting their favor and grace on the land. And so, well, they didn't worship the gods of the empire. They didn't worship the gods of their localities. Uh, they didn't worship the ancestral gods of many of their people. That was probably considered an abomination because if you didn't worship those gods, guess what you're doing? You're inviting their anger and wrath on the empire. We would say today it's a very unpatriotic thing to do. So the religion and the politics of Rome was one and the same. And when you've got this weird group of people, many of whom you think are just Jewish, but they're talking about this guy named Jesus Christ, they're not participating in the Roman cult, you're going, they're going to be the downfall of us. Why? Because they don't worship the gods. What an abomination that is. So what's most interesting is that the term Christian isn't so much a Greek formation as it is a Latin formation. And, and what I mean by that, the I-A-N at the end of a word, I-A-N means follower. If you've ever taken Latin, most of us haven't, then that's what that means. So that's more of a, for example, the Herodians, followers of Herod, the Pompeians, followers of Pompey, the Caesarians, follower, followers of Caesar, uh, Christians, followers of Christ. So now we, we don't look at it this way then, but in their time, they would have looked at Christian or Christianity as a political faction. We don't think of it that way. It's a, right, it's a faith, it's a religion. Another quotation from Josephus, he said, and the tribe of Christians, so named from him, that is Jesus, are not extinct to this day. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. It's the only other time in the New Testament that the name Christian is used. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. And the way that Peter uses the term, he uses it as a legal charge, actually. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. 
Now, when you get to the early second century, there's a guy by the name of Pliny who's a governor of Bithynia, and he's writing to the emperor Trajan. And he's telling the emperor Trajan, I've never participated in trials of Christians. So to be called a it was a legal charge, right? Uh, just, just like murder in the first degree or, or criminal trespassing. A charge then was Christian. What are the charges? Christian. Let me ask you a question. It's, it's something really worth pondering. If, uh, if the charge of Christian were levied today as it was then, would there be enough evidence to convict us guilty? That's really something worth thinking about. If the charge of Christian were levied today as it was then, would there be enough evidence to convict us as guilty? There, I couldn't find a picture of this, not that it would have mattered, but after, you've heard of the city of Pompeii, right, that was destroyed by the volcano and all that things, all that and, and things. Uh, archaeologists excavated the city of Pompeii years ago, and there is a, some graffiti that dates somewhere between 62 and 79 AD, and it uses the name Christian to ridicule the followers of Christ. So, so when you look at it from an, from an outsider's perspective, when you look at it in the sense of, you know, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Roman, you, you see just how they were regarded. And another thing was mainly who they preached as king. Acts 17, verse 7. These are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So what if we did that still today? You may or may not know this. You may or may not even care. Today is the 70th anniversary of Queen Elizabeth acceding to the throne. She's had that job a long time. Most of us stay in a career, what, 30 years we retire? She's been at it for 70 years. Some people just don't know when to let go. But how many of us would ever say above Jesus or to the subjugation of Jesus, Queen Elizabeth. Most of us probably wouldn't. We could ignore, okay, she's a queen on the earth, you know, majesty, royalty, all that stuff. But really, Jesus is in control. And we should do that with American politics, too. Christ is king. Christ is king, always. They never went about with banners saying, I support Caesar, vote for Caesar, long live Caesar. They said, Jesus Christ is king. Now, how does all this have anything to do with the lesson of the sermon? Let me flip back over and make sure I get it right. The local church is still God's plan. What does, that have, what does all this history have to do with it? Uh, well, it has this to do with it. If I'm just a Christian, living on my own, not having anything to do with God's people, there's not going to be any impact made in the way that it was made in the first century. They were first called Christians, not Christian. Christians because they were together, they had the same values, they worshipped the same king, and they became a little bit annoying to folks. 
The local church is still a part of God's plan. Let me, let me just tell you, you may or may not know this, but there are things in our society today that we take for granted not realizing that they were given to us by Christianity throughout the ages. For example, standards of hygiene and purity. Thank the Lord for that. Hygiene and purity. Did you know that womanhood was elevated thanks to Christianity? They weren't seen in, in the old days. It was called a patriarchal society. But when you look through your New Testament, these things aren't glaringly obvious. But, you know, women came to hold a higher position in Christianity than what the ancient world was comfortable with. For, uh, my favorite example is the story of Mary and Martha, right? Mary and Martha, there they are. Jesus and his disciples come to their house and Martha goes to the kitchen. You can probably hear the, 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 the pots clanging and, you know, things happening in the kitchen. Where's Mary? Mary has seated herself at the feet of Jesus. Do you know that in the first century, no woman could ever be a disciple of a rabbi? And yet Mary, seated at the feet of Jesus, assumed the very position of a disciple. Most rabbis went out and chose, handpicked their disciples. But Jesus invited everybody. When Paul spoke about his teacher, Gamaliel, he said, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel in Jerusalem, and here Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Women actually became disciples. And all throughout the centuries, womanhood has been elevated thanks to, in part, Christianity. Another thing that Christianity has done, and you're like, well, that's not a big problem. These days, uh, Christianity helped to abolish cannibalism and human sacrifice. That's a pretty good thing. Uh, Christianity, for centuries, has organized famine relief. People starving. Did you know that every major European and the early American universities were the work of Christian clergymen? Harvard University, Princeton, let's see, the College of William and Mary, there are so many uh, that, that the Ivy Leagues, do you know that it, it was like a priest or a, or a clergyman or something that started those universities? So education was spread. The whole notion of Sunday school, I believe, started with the Anglican Church back over in England and the education model that exists in the entire world is thanks in part to Christianity. All types of social reforms, such as human rights, that's Christianity. But also medicine, hospital, hospices, Christianity. I know about those especially because I wrote my dissertation about it, and I was so excited to find that. I was like, I never knew that. Christianity gave us hospitals. Christianity gave us hospices, gave us education, women's rights, human dignity, and so forth, benevolent institutions. And even to this day, the church still does many good works, as has been evidenced by what has happened to our neighbors in Mayfield and Graves County and the surrounding areas and the relief that has poured as a result of that. So anyone that says, I, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I just don't see a need for the church. Look at all that Christians have done. I would ask, can you show me the good that atheism has done? 
And I mean that sincerely, not as a jab. I can't think of anything. Does the church, do Christians have problems? Yeah, absolutely. You could bring up all the dirt throughout the centuries, and some of it would be well justified. But we are humans just like everybody else, and just because we proclaim a certain creed doesn't mean that we're perfect automatically. It means that's our effort. That's what we strive for. This is the Jesus whom we serve. I want to read to you something I found. There's not a source attributed to it, but I really like the sentiment. And so I'll just go ahead and tell you, uh, after I read this, I'll let Derek lead us in song and we'll all stand. Elders will come to the front. And so if anyone wants to respond to the invitation uh, to, to put on Christ in baptism, to confess your faith in Jesus, that'll be a good time to do so. But you don't have to do it then. Uh, if you want repentance and prayers for whatever the case may be, that'll be a good time to do so. But it doesn't have to be then. You know, uh, Gary mentioned uh, uh, Josh, who was baptized last Sunday, and that was something we did when everybody cleared out. That's, that's fine, too. It doesn't matter. If, if you want to become a Christian, don't let anything stand in your way. So here it is. Let me read this to you, and then we'll stand and sing. This is my church. It's composed of people just like me. It'll be friendly if I am. It'll do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It'll bring others into fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service. If I, who make it what it is, am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all the things that I want the church to to be. Okay, I said we're going to stand and sing, but I got, I'm sorry, you know, I, preachers lie. If you ever hear preachers say, I'd like to say a word or I'd like to have a bite, that's a lie. We got more than one word to say and we're going to take more than one bite. Have you ever complained about the church? I'll be honest, I have. Not the church so much as the congregation that I've belonged to, I've complained. I remember one time when I was a kid, my dad scolded me for this, not because I complained. Daddy's the type of guy who doesn't believe in excuses, and I'm thankful for that, and I have a hard time accepting excuses too, as my son and daughter will well tell you. But I, we walked in church, and I remember, there are always these guys standing out like we have folks here. Greeters, we call them. And, you know, it used to be that all the deacons of the congregation I grew up in, they would be the ones greeting. And so I'm walking around, I'm just, I'm just looking and I'm observing. And, you know, I'm like, shouldn't they just be nice and greeting people? They're standing there in little huddles talking. Some of them won't even say hi or anything. Daddy said, if you want that done, you go do it. I was 12, so you can be, you know, I've never forgotten that. If you've ever complained about this congregation, let me ask you, what have you done to fix the problem that you've seen? 
I was in the hospital and nobody called me. Who's the last person you called? I haven't been at church for a month and nobody's checked on me. Do you get a list every week and call and check on people? I'm serious. If you've got a complaint, be a part of the solution. Anybody can sit there and complain. I've got a black belt in it. I can out-complain you if you want. But it doesn't get anything done. If you see a problem, come up with a solution. Be the church that you want. Let's stand and sing.